uh, as, as Thanksgiving nears, I know that a lot of us uh, understand there's some common sense uh, taboos that we always want to watch out for. As we near the holidays, there's certain things to do, to not do, uh, certain things to talk about, certain things to not talk about. Uh, and amidst the, list, amidst the list of the things to not talk about, the three of the big things that you never want to talk about uh, around Thanksgiving or Christmas or with family members are politics, religion, and money. So I thought it'd be an excellent idea, my first time preaching for my Union Church family, that I'd talk about two of those three uh, this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about money. But one of the beautiful things is that since I'm not the lead pastor here, I'm not a pastor here, uh, I, I'm not responsible for any complaints that happen. So <laughs> if you have any complaints about me preaching about money or whatever I say, um, Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at unionchurchsc.com. Send your email straight to him, and uh, he'll, he'll be able to handle it. Uh, but, th- but the moment that you heard, whether from the, 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 the bulletin or from the announcements that we're speaking about money today, I know many of you probably got nervous. Uh, maybe, you know, you're a visitor here, and already, you know, you see money. Oh, they're talking about money. And you're talking, you lean over to your spouse, and you're like, honey, pull the car around. We're getting out of here right now. Uh, because usually talking about money is not a comfortable experience for most of us, right? For some of you may be thinking, uh, Uh, you know what, this is just like Christians, it's just like churches, I'm always hearing about money. So let me tell you why we're talking about money this morning, Uh, but before that, let me give you a couple reasons um, for why we aren't talking about money. So just to to settle your suspicions right now, number one, we're not talking about money this morning because Union Church always talks about money. Some of you may be thinking, see, this is just what, this is what the guy with the big hair and the shiny teeth on TV is always doing. He's always asking me for money. This is what Christian charities are always wanting to do. They're always asking for money. Christians and churches are always asking for money. I've been at Union Church for about three years as a member, uh, give or take, and I don't think I've once heard a sermon on money these whole three years here. In fact, I think we so seldom talk about money, even in announcements as we're talking about how to give, that some of our members, even though they want to give and plan to give, they like forget we have offering boxes uh, in the lobby. And so they're like, oh yeah, oh yeah, giving. I, I forgot about that. And so our church doesn't always talk about money. Number two is we're not talking about money because our church is in some kind of financial crisis right? Do not worry. I'm not going to pull up an Excel spreadsheet of our budget for this last year. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to do a special offering uh, after the sermon uh, in order to help our church get out of a hole. We're not in a financial crisis. Number three, we're not talking about money because I am a financial expert, right? I am no, I've been called a lot of things in life, but a financial genius has never been one of those things. Uh, I went to Biola University, which if you know anything about Biola University, they take all your money when you go there. Uh, And so they took all any money I did have, but then I became a youth pastor for about 10 years, which is a a profession that is not known for its uh, wealth creation potential. Uh, But I have actually changed jobs, um, and so I did did rise up on the pay pay scale a bit, and I became a high school teacher. Uh, you know, which you know I'm rolling in the dough now as a high school teacher. And so don't think, oh, uh, Aaron somehow is going, you know what, we need to talk about money. I know, send in Dana. <laughs> That's not how it's, it's happening. Uh, here are four reasons why we are talking about money this morning. All right, here's four reasons why. Number one, money is a necessary issue. You see, our economy has long passed the bartering system. Right? No one like, just rolls into Apple, you know, uh, the Apple store and is like, hey, sweet MacBook, how many chickens do you want for that? Uh, you know, we're not trading goods and commodities. We, in order to uh, uh, symbolize the wealth that we do have, we use money. And so we receive money in our jobs. We give money. Uh, you know, we pay for things with money. Money is a necessary part of our life. It's a necessary issue. Number two, money is a spiritual issue. Some of you think that uh, there's sacred things and there's secular things and that they should be kept divided, but the Bible doesn't actually have those two categories. Everything in God's world is sacred. Everything done in the Christian life is sacred because we do it in the name of Jesus. You see, when you become a Christian, Jesus becomes your Lord and he becomes Lord over all things. He becomes Lord over your heart, over your mind, over your soul, and over your wallet. And so as we learn from Jesus in his word, he's going to teach us about what devotion to him looks like, but he's also gonna teach us about dollars, right? He's gonna teach us about worship, but also about wealth. 
So he's Lord of all things. Number two, though, it's a spiritual issue because how we think about and use our money actually reveals a lot about what we love the most. How we use our money reveals a lot about what we love the most. Jesus once said, uh, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what you say reveals what you love. We could say the same thing for money. Out of the overflow of the heart, the spending of our money goes. And so sometimes we often will say, I love Jesus more than anything, but then if we look at our bank statements, we may hear a different testimony. So money's a spiritual issue. It's a necessary issue, a spiritual issue. Number three, money's a, a confused issue. When the world thinks about money, we think of workaholics who worship money. We think of massive credit card debt, which reveals that we mishandle money. Uh, We think of lavish lifestyles that show we think money exists for my pleasure alone. The world is really confused about how to think and handle money, but even worse, the church is confused about money. You see, in Christian churches, there's kind of these two extremes that we want to avoid. One is called prosperity theology. Right, and what this says is if you are a faithful Christian, God will always make you happy, healthy, and wealthy. That the more your faithfulness is increased, the more your actual wealth will increase. In prosperity theology, a, a poverty is a sign of faithlessness or unfaithfulness to God. You see, that's a confusion. But on the other side, swinging to the other side of the pendulum, there's this thing called poverty theology which says if you are a true Christian, then any extra money you get that doesn't take care of basic needs like food, water, and clothes, you need to give it away. That if you are wealthy, according to poverty theology, that's a sign that you're an unfaithful Christian, right? And so either the worship of money in prosperity theology or calling money evil in poverty theology shows us that the church is pretty confused when it comes to money as well. So we're talking about money because it's necessary. It's a spiritual issue. It's a confused issue, and this is the most important and what brings us today to be speaking about money. We're speaking about money because it's a biblical issue. If you've read your Bible, you see that the Bible doesn't hesitate to speak about money. You see, here's what happens. When someone becomes a Christian, their relationship with God is restored. They're given a new heart, they're given a new love for God, their sins are forgiven, and now they are what the Bible says, they're born again, they become God's kids. And God is the kind of father who doesn't just love to have babies, he loves to raise his babies to become mature adults. And so when people become Christians, God is our father, comes to us in his word. He gathers us into his church and comes to us in his word. And what he does is he gives us tons of instructions and truth on how to live as a member of his family. And this instruction's found in scripture and it's not just on spiritual things, it's also on practical things. You see, God is the creator of both heaven and earth, and so the Bible is full of instructions concerning what? Heaven and earth. You see, when you come to the pages of scripture, you see that God teaches us about prayer, and he teaches us about parenting. That God teaches us about worship and how we use our words. He talks about salvation, and sanctification. He talks about worshiping him and living wisely under him, okay? And so when we come to the Bible, we see all of these practical issues, and one of the most practical issues God speaks about at length is the issue of money. In both the Old and the New Testament, God speaks about money so much, and this kind of showed up this week as I was preparing for this sermon. Once I got all my study notes and I'm just studying these different passages and reading these different resources, I had this document about 30 pages long, and I'm like, well, that's gonna be a casual 16-hour sermon. Uh, But don't worry, I cut it down. It's only gonna be two hours today. Uh, But uh, one one, one author said said it well. Looking at what the Bible says about money, just a couple stats, he said this. 16 of the 38 parables of Jesus concerned, were concerned with how to handle money and possessions, almost half. Even more, in the Gospels, an amazing one out of 10 verses, 288 in all, deal directly with the subject of money. In the Bible, there are over 500 verses on the subject of money alone. So as we get into the scriptures today, be prepared. There's gonna be a lot of verses. Don't try and follow it in your Bible. A lot of the verses will be up here on the screen. The ones that are up here on the screen are actually referenced in your notes under the right points, so you can go back to those for later reference. Brian, make sure that index finger is nice and warmed up because we're gonna be cycling through some slides today, okay? Um, And so 
the Bible speaks about money a ton, and in the book of Proverbs particularly, there is incredible instruction concerning money. So why are we talking about money? Because the Bible talks about money, and we are a church that loves the Bible. We read the Bible, we study the Bible, we, we pray in response to the Bible, we hear the Bible, and so being that we're Bible people, we're gonna come to the topic of money because that's a topic that the Bible deals with, okay? Before we pop, hop into Proverbs uh, before we hop into Proverbs, one thing that's helpful to do is to kind of get the big picture of the Bible. Have you, ever, have you ever had that unfortunate experience of having a friend who walks into a movie like halfway through, right? And then what do they do? They ask incessant questions, right? Who's that? What's that? Why is, why is there a small, why the, you know, this and that? And you just, you, hey, you know what? It's either we're gonna go back to the very beginning so you stop asking these questions or you leave, right? And we'll watch a new movie later when you wanna come. When we come just into the book of Proverbs, it's like us jumping into the middle of a movie. And it could be confusing if you don't understand the major plot. So what we'll do for just a second is we're gonna look back to Genesis to get an idea of the plot of God's world and particularly the place of money within it. Then we'll go to Proverbs and we'll get some good instruction on how to think about and handle our money. So if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter one. If you don't have a Bible, the ushers, uh, these, these fine looking gentlemen down here are gonna come down the aisles and like a, a popcorn guy at the baseball stadium, they'll hold it up and you just raise your hand and they'll even throw it to you right in the middle. No, they won't do that. They'll pass it down to you gently. Uh, Genesis chapter one, let's get our bearings straight for a moment as we get our heads around this topic. So Genesis chapter one. You don't even have to look in the table of contents, first book in the Bible, first chapter. And uh, Genesis chapter one, as many of you know, is the chapter where God creates the world, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And if you look, even scan it briefly in chapter one, you see that there's, there's this rhythm where God creates something, and the moment he creates it, he then says, it is good. He creates light, and he says, that's good. He creates land and water, he says, that's good. He creates fish in the sea and birds in the air, he says, that good. He says that's good. He creates cats, and he says, those aren't good. Uh, just kidding. Um, he creates all these things, and in verse 31, we read this summative sentence, summary sentence, verse 31 of chapter one. It says this. And God saw everything, if you have your Bibles, I'd underline that word, everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. There was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God creates this world, and this world is good. Trees are good, sun is good, beach is good, food is good, amen, food is good, right? Burritos are good, it's just proof that God loves us and wants us to be happy, right, uh, good, the world and all of its wealth and its wealth potential is good. So God creates this really good world and then in verse 26 we see he creates people who are made in his image to enjoy this very good world. Look at it in verse 26 what it says. Chapter one, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, <coughs> excuse me, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the ground. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Good job, Aaron and Maddie. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that's on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And I give you every beast of the earth to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth. Everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. Notice this picture. God creates this amazing, abundant world. The world that, that planet Earth on Netflix helps us just be amazed by. He creates this world. He creates people to, in his image. And he, he creates them and he says, hey, look at this world. It's yours. All of the animals, yours. All of the plants, yours. In the water, in the air, on the ground, yours. You see, if you're that person who's often tempted to think God is stingy and tight-fisted, 
think Genesis 1 may be a great place for you to steep your heart in. God is a generous God, amen? I mean, I remember when I, I, was, I was in the middle of three boys and I grew up in a three-bedroom house, so that means that two of the three boys uh, had to share a room. Now, that initially went to my older brother because he's the older brother, but he was kind of an idiot in high school, and so he lost his room privilege. And so then my parents said, hey, you've got the best grades out of all your siblings, and so Dana, I remember this day, you can have the, 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 your own room. And I just wanted to hit my knees and just say, oh, parents, you are filled with abundant grace and, and blessing. Marvelous are your works and your mercy. I just wanted to just praise them because they gave me this little 12 by 12 square room with a closet and a window and a bed. Now that was right that I felt thankfulness for that room, but friends, God didn't give Adam and Eve just this 12 by 12 foot square room. He didn't even just give them a mansion. He didn't even just give them a continent. He looks to the world he made and he says, it's yours. That's an incredibly wealthy God and an incredibly generous God. He gives them the world to enjoy. But also, and don't miss this picture, he doesn't just give them the world to enjoy, he gives them the world to develop. Did you catch that in what we read? He gives them the world so that they would cultivate the world and bring out of it its wealth and beauty. Look again in verse 28. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and, here's our key words, subdue it and have dominion over the birds, the fish, the animals. You see, God gives them this world and he says, first, enjoy this world, but also subdue this world and have dominion over this world. To have dominion over something is to have authority over something that you may care for it. So, so men, if you are the, the head of your house, as you love your wife and you love your kids, you have dominion over your family. They are your little plot of ground and God calls you to sacrifice yourself that your little family may just grow and flourish. Right? In your workplace, you have a job and that's your dominion. It's your place where you're called to work and to develop. At homes with our little kids, they're under our dominion and so we want them to flourish and develop. So God gives Adam and Eve the world and he says, make it all your dominion. Make it flourish, make it develop, make it build, make it grow. You even see this more clearly, Genesis chapter two, verse 15. Go ahead and skip over to Genesis chapter two. Chapter two follows chapter one, in case that's helpful. And, and here's what God does. He creates Adam, he creates the world, and it says that God actually created this garden within the world. So think about the whole wide world as this wild, untamed, vast world of potential. And then God creates a little landscaped garden, and he puts Adam in the garden, and here's what he says, verse 15 of chapter two. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Did you notice this? He takes this, makes this garden, God landscapes this garden, he puts Adam in this garden, and he doesn't say, hey Adam, here is your forever vacation home. Lounge around, eat grapes, be naked, it'll be dope, you'll enjoy it forever. No, he says, you're in this garden, and what's God's command? Work it and keep it. Work it, build it up, Adam, develop it, make its borders go out and out and out until the rest of the world looks like what? This garden. And as you work and keep and build, don't just forget about what you've worked up, but then keep it, protect it, maintain it. This is the creation mandate. Human beings, wherever they go, they build, they develop, they cultivate. Why? Because God has wired it into our hearts. Why? Because as his image bearers, we are called to reflect him. What has God done? He has created a world of massive wealth potential, right? He is the richest one there is and he uses his wealth to make others flourish, right? He uses his wealth, and so God is the wealthiest person alive, and he uses his wealth to make others flourish, and so as Adam and Eve work the garden, they cultivate and develop it like God does, and they use that wealth to do what? Make others flourish, right? And so the last thing I'd like us to see here is he calls us to cultivate the world. Deuteronomy 8 says it this way, Beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. 
So mankind's capability to create wealth is not a result of sin, it's a result of creation. We are builders and developers and wealth creators because God has made us to be like that. And what are we to do with our wealth? Share it with others. Share it with others. People are to be like God, the ultimate sharer, and use the wealth they create, not solely for selfish ends, but that others may be blessed. So that's our storyline. That's, that's the storyline of the Bible. Now, obviously, sin enters in and messes things up pretty significantly, but we'll talk about that in a moment. So what we're gonna do now is we're gonna turn to the book of Proverbs, and we're gonna look at three key truths the book of Proverbs teaches us about how to think about and handle money. Okay, so three truths from the book of Proverbs about how we should think and handle money. And it shouldn't surprise us that the first point we're gonna look at is over, is gives us an overwhelmingly positive view of money. Because money itself is not evil. So point number one, money can bless. Money can bless. Now at this point, some of you may be thinking, but wait, 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 wait. There's like a Bible verse that says money is the root of all evil, right? Have we heard that before? And so am I just like speaking heresy up here? Is that what's happening? Everyone's looking at Aaron like, hey, cut the mic, man. He's not speaking the Bible. No, no, no. There is no Bible verse that says the, that money is the root of all evil. The verse actually is what? The love of money is the root of all evil. You see, money itself, as Proverbs deals with it, gives us not one negative thing to say about money in itself. Proverbs warns against the abuse of money, it condemns the abuse of money, but not the use of money. Because money, according to Proverbs, can bless. And there's two major ways, two subheadings, if you're a note taker, under this point to help organize our thoughts. How, how is money a blessing? Proverbs says it in these two ways. The first is this, money can be a blessing from God. Money can be a blessing from God. Look at what Proverbs 10.22 says. And again, just so you know, the verse citations under the points in your notes, they're all in the order that I'll be speaking them, so you can kind of track along that way as well. Proverbs 10.22 says this, the blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. You see, if the blessing of the Lord makes rich, then how can we call riches evil? Because will God ever give a gift that is evil? The blessing of the Lord makes rich, and he adds no sorrow with it, no strings attached, no ulterior motives. Money it can be a blessing from God. Or how about this, Proverbs 22, verse four. The reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Now this is important. If we just read Proverbs 10, 22, it makes it seem that just God randomly and arbitrarily just blesses people with money as if he's got this kind of like heavenly lottery and he's like, hey, lucky, lucky, you get all this money, right? Just random with no thought behind it. But Proverbs 22, four helps us to understand that God's giving of wealth is not like this lottery. It's not arbitrary, but often the blessing of wealth comes as a what, according to the verse? A reward, you see, it's not uncommon for humble people who love the Lord to prosper. It's not uncommon. Think about it this way. This, Proverbs describes this guy this way. He's humble, which means what? This is a man that doesn't, or a woman who doesn't live for themselves. When they're at work, they aren't just watching over their responsibilities, but they're watching over their coworkers. They're, they're working not for their own gain only, but they wanna bless their employer. They wanna bless their clients. They're not self-centered, they're others-centered. So this person's humble. Second, though, is this person fears God, meaning that in their line of work, they're gonna be honest because they know God's watching. They're gonna be hardworking because they wanna do everything to honor Jesus. They wanna give their best even when nobody is looking. So what happens when you have someone who is humble, and fears God in a workplace. They're gonna be loyal, they're gonna be hardworking, they're gonna be diligent, they're gonna be honest, and they're gonna be doing everything they can to bless their workplace. What usually happens to an employee like that? They get promotions, and they get bigger paychecks. 
What Proverbs is telling us in this verse is this. Proverbs is reminding us that that person who is humble and fears the Lord, as, as they may in give a greater income of wealth, they not only have their bosses to thank, but who else do they have to thank? God, right? God. Now, there's two good questions that we have to ask here unless we get misunderstandings. Number one, does this mean that, that rich people, that all rich people are humble and fear God? No, right? You almost want to chuckle. You're like, no, 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 dear, dear boy. That is not at all the, the, the truth. Uh, because are there, there are unjust and dishonorable ways to make lots of money. And Proverbs recognizes that. Proverbs 21.6 says, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. There are people who get riches through sin, but the guy who makes money by lying and stealing or cheating may be increasing his wealth, but God reminds them they're also increasing their own judgment. The money they get from sinful actions is not a reward from God, right, in that case. So it doesn't mean that all rich people are humble and fear God. Number two, though, does this mean humility and fear of God always result in fat bank accounts? Right, some of you, you're not even Christians and you're like, well, if this is true, then I'm gonna get on the Jesus train because I wanna, I, wanna, I wanna get money, right? And so, you know, kind of this spiritual gold digger kind of, kind of aspect, right? I want Jesus because of all of the cash that he's gonna give me, but that's not true as well. And that's important to know because as we read the book of Proverbs, we have to understand what Proverbs are. Proverbs are wise sayings that usually come to happen in the world, but they're not promises that will always happen. You guys catch that? Proverbs are not promises. The things of Proverbs happen most of the time. If you have a humble guy that loves the Lord, most of the time that's going to be reflected in in their prosperity, but they don't always happen all the time. Proverbs are are not rules of faith, but they're rules of thumb, right? But here's, here's what Proverbs is getting at. Those who love the Lord, obey the Lord, fulfill their desires honorably and diligently in the name of the Lord will generally find that God is not stingy. Those who are humble and fear the Lord will find that God is not stingy, but he's generous. God is not tight-fisted to those who are open-hearted to him. So it's important as we look at the book of Proverbs to understand money is not evil, but it can be a blessing from God when obtained honorably. So if you're a believer in Jesus, if you get a promotion, you don't have to have a panic attack, right? If you get some, some wealth that comes you know, from, from your labors or your work or even a gift, you don't have to start shaking and pray that Satan would be casted out of your house. Money can be a blessing from God when obtained honorably. It should not be rejected, but it can be received with grateful, thankful hearts to God. So that first point is about how we should receive money, gotten honorably. The second subpoint is about how we should use our money honorably. Here's the second way money is a blessing. Money can be a blessing not only from God, but it can be a blessing for others. Money can be a blessing for others. I went to San Clemente High School here, um, and so... Um, my dad went to San Clemente High School here. The Dill family has been educated basically at this school. Uh, but I remember uh, the upper campus, I took a health class, right? You guys remember high school health class? I mean, that is about the peak of just, you know, good of high school education. So I'm sitting there with a PE teacher that definitely doesn't want to be there teaching health class. But one day he got particularly excited because he had a little PowerPoint to show us. And he says, okay, kids, sit down. I want to show you why you should go to college. I'm like, okay, like, hear this all the time. Shoot, why should I go to college? And he says, Look at these stats. People who don't go to college are poor and dissatisfied. But people who do go to college make tons of money, right? And he had this like slideshow presentation about the pay scale between those who went to college and those who didn't go to college. And after he showed us that if I go to college, I'm gonna make Benjamins just all the time. He's like, so therefore, go to college because you can make a ton of money and you can do whatever you want. Now here's the thing, just, as a, just you, from a utilitarian perspective, that was probably very effective, right, for a lot of students. They're just like, I want more money, okay, college, let's do this. But that picture perfectly paints how the world thinks about money. What is the use of money? It's all so I can please who? Myself. 
You see, for the world, money's ultimate goal has everything to do with your personal pleasure. But when we come to God in scripture, God trains us in a better way. He trains his children to see money not as a treasure for our pleasure, but a tool for others' good. For the Christian, the money in our hand is not ultimately a treasure for our pleasure, but it is a tool to be used for the good of others and for the honor of God. Um, To make it more concrete, how can we use our money to bless? Let me give you four areas Proverbs points to that we can use money to bless, four areas. Number one, money can bless your family. It's good to provide for your family, amen? Amen. Let's look at Proverbs 31 as we talked about womanhood. We were, we were all about the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, my wife is 31 years old. I shouldn't have said that, but it matches the fact that she's a wise woman full of beauty and grace, right? She is my 31. Um, whoo, I'm going to pay for that later. No, I'm just not. Uh, Proverbs 31, we read this. Chapter or 31, verse 18, it's on your screen. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. So this is a woman that has a little side gig. She, she, she sells stuff on Pinterest maybe or Etsy. She's got a little real estate thing on the side. She, she sells things. She realizes that her, her merchandise is profitable. And so what does she do? Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hands to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So this is a woman who works hard, she is business-minded, she is making good income, and she gives this income to the needy and the poor, but also who does she give it to? She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. You notice this is a woman who makes money and she uses her money to, yes, bless the needy, we'll talk about that in a moment, but she uses her money to what? Bless her family. When the snow in the winter comes, her kids aren't freezing, they're not getting colds, they're, not, they're nice and warm. And not just in like, you know, uh, uh, you know like low end, kind of like, you know, parkas that are kind of warm, but not really, they're clothed in scarlet. They're okay. Their little hands are warm, their little ears are warm. When the snow comes, she just laughs and says, my family would be taken care of because she's used her money to bless her family. Friends, it is a good and godly thing to use your wealth to help your family flourish. Second, because it's important for us to see this too, it's not just money that we use in life, but also our money can bless our family after death. Check this proverb out, 1322. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children, but the sinner, sinner's wealth is laid up for the righteous. Notice this. This is a man who's not only uses wealth to care for his family while he's living, but he has died and he has left money behind to continue to care for them as he is, is, is chilling with Jesus. Right? We often say you can't take your money with you, but the, the response to that wisdom is not, so spend it all while you're alive. It is good for people to leave inheritances for their family. They take care of their family even after they have gone. Number two, uh, we can use money to bless your brother or sister in Christ. Galatians 6.10 says this, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially those who are of the household of faith. You see, for a Christian, we have an earthly family we are to care for and we have a spiritual family we are to care for. Jesus says, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And one of the ways we care for each other is not just spiritually, but also what? Physically. You see, if we have a church member here at Union Church and they lost their job and they don't have money for rent or food, it is not loving to say, oh, dear brother, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. Goodbye. It's loving not just to pray for them, but to pay for them to actually come and practically help our brothers and sisters in our family of Christ here at Union Church when times of hardship hit them. It's incredibly uh, helpful. And so uh, we see our local church is a family and families take care of their own who are in need. I remember I was at at my former church, there was a girl that had a son who had an eye condition and it was outside of their insurance scope and it was $10,000 and they had no understanding how to pay for it. And if he didn't get the surgery, he would go blind definitely. And the church came to her and said, sister, we've taken an offering for you and we have not only all the money you need to pay the bill, but also more 
so that you can take some time off work and things like that. They had a sister who was in need and they cared for her, not only spiritually, praying for her, loving her, but actually financially. Money can bless your church, your brothers and sisters. Number three, money can bless your needy neighbor. Proverbs 14:2. whoever despises his neighbor is a sinner, but blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Proverbs 14, 31, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. You see, withholding our money from, the, from those who are in need dishonors God. Christians seek to honor God by being generous with their money to those in need. Uh, my in-laws are an, an extraordinary example in my mind of this because when they find people who are truly in need, not because people are lazy or they're enabling or they're trying to work the system, they're truly in need, hardship has hit them, my in-laws have always been so quick to help out any moment they see that. I remember one time there was a young gal who was a single gal and she was working hard, full-time job, and she had this car and it broke down and she, it was, the payments weren't done on that car, but in order to get to work, she had to get another car and so she was considering taking a loan both to buy a new car but also pay for the thing. It was gonna crush her in debt. My in-laws heard about that and they footed the bill entirely, no strings attached, and they said, hey, we all hit hard times. God's been good to us. It's our joy to be good to you. We can help those who are needy. Lastly, money can bless your church's gospel ministry. You see, the Bible teaches that we are saved by hearing the message of Jesus, and that's true. We're not saved by money. We're not saved by bank accounts. We're not saved by wealth. We're saved by trusting in Jesus, what he's done for us on the cross, but the message of Jesus is spread far more broadly and increased far more loudly when people are generously giving to the ministry of the gospel. Think about our church. It's nice that we have a church building to meet in, isn't it? It's nice to have seats, someone to invite people week in and week out, consistency. Here's the thing, CUSD is not giving us this building at the generosity of their own hearts. The government of California is not too stoked on Jesus right now, and so they're not looking for ways to help little church plants like ours. If we wanna have a building like this, it needs money. Kids' classrooms need to be paid for. Resources like this audio equipment for me to not just be screeching at you this entire service, things like this to just help us have uh, services that are without distraction. They need money. And here's, here's the thing. Money is used to get resources, to pay bills for our church, to carry on our ministry, but money also cares for our pastor. And this is something that's incredibly important, and I need to say it because the Bible says it. Aaron does not just work one day a week. <laughs> I know that's always the thought about pastors. Why do they get paid? They only work one day a week. He doesn't work one day a week. In fact, I was, if we were to take Aaron's weekly time and his hours that he puts in, I think he would actually put a lot of us to shame in the amount of hours that he's pouring into his ministry and care for our church family. Every week, he meets people for counseling, for ministry leadership visits. He meets new visitors to share the gospel with them, encourage them to membership. And all of this while doing sermon prep. And if you think it takes Aaron a long time to preach his sermons, how much longer do you think it takes for him to actually prepare them, right, throughout the week? And you only think Aaron preaches long because he never heard me preach before. So, um, but, and also amidst this, as he's sermon prepping and meeting with people, caring for people, he's being spiritually attacked by the devil because the devil's not gonna shoot privates. He's gonna shoot for the generals. He's gonna try and take out the leaders. But also he has a beautiful pregnant wife to love, toddlers to raise, bills to pay. His ministry is vital for our church's maturity and mission. And like the Apostle Paul says, a worker is worth his wages. And so as a church, it honors God and it does good for others as we use our money to bless our families, to bless the needy people that are in our church family, to bless our neighbors, but to continue to put our money toward the investment for gospel purposes. I hope and I pray that union will continue to be a light on a hill for the city of San Clemente in the decades to come. And one of the ways to make that happen is by our church family blessing our church with the gift of money that God has given us. So are you, are you using your gifts to bless, church? You see, that's not an uncommon thing for churches to talk about. There are people at our church that have gifts of courage and bravery and perseverance and faith, and so they serve in children's ministry, <laughs> right? <laughs> there are people at our church that are musically gifted, like Corey and Alyssa, Darren, Seth, Kate, Larissa, all of them have incredible music gifts and they use it to serve our church. Some of you are walking Pinterest boards, 
right? You just, you just ooze creativity, and you use your creativity gifts in the hospitality team to make sure that our gatherings feel warm and welcoming. Otherwise, if decoration was put up to like Aaron and I, like it would look like a freshman college guy dorm room, right? It would not be a place that people would want to come to. Some of you guys have big muscles and servant hearts, and you use them to help set up and tear down for church every single Sunday. Some of you guys have the spiritual gift of ush, and so you usher right? You serve the church as an usher because you ush to the glory of God. So here's what I want us to do. Why do we start to get nervous when we start talking about using our gift of money to serve the church? Every other gift that God has given us, we say, yes, it's good to encourage people to use the gifts God has given them to serve the church, but we talk about money, we're like, hey, 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 back off, back off, where's my wallet, right? You just stay away. Now, some of you may be thinking, this is not okay, but It's not something I'm saying. It's something that God is saying in his word. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians. He says this, but as you excel in everything, Corinthians, in faith and speech and knowledge and in all earnestness and in your love or in our love for you, see that you excel in the act of grace of giving also. You see what Paul's doing there? Excel in the ministry of of giving. How about this, what Paul says to Timothy? As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and ready to share the storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Brothers and sisters, God has given some of you the gift of a lot of money. And whether you have a lot of money or a little, we should seriously consider and pray how God is calling us to cheerfully and sacrificially use our money to bless others and exalt the name of Jesus. Money can be a blessing, amen? Point two, money can also be a curse. Money can bless and money can curse. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 is followed by, here's again my math skills, Genesis 3, right? And in Genesis 3, sin enters God's good world and distorts it and corrupts it. And so what happens is God creates a world abundant and wealth created to be cultivated and shared. And in Genesis 3, the good plan of wealth creation and sharing is corrupted by sin in the heart. You see, in the beginning, we were called to love God and use money as a blessing But after Genesis 3, what have we done? We love money and we use God whenever convenient. And this love of money, as the Apostle Paul says, is what? The root of all evil. And there are three ways Proverbs shows us that money, the love of money can be a root of evil in our lives. Number one, money can enslave. Money can enslave. And this looks particularly like the unfortunate circumstance of crushing debt. The rich rules over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender, Proverbs 22, seven. You see, Proverbs talks about debt like it talks about chains. It limits our freedom. The higher the debt, the higher the interest, the less freedom we have to use our funds in our life in the way that God may be calling us. That's why Proverbs constantly warns about debt. Proverbs 22:26. be not one of those who gives pledges who puts up security for idols. If you have nothing, or or security for debts, if you have nothing with which to pay, why should your bed be taken from under you? If you don't have a lot of money, don't take out a loan, because then you have a lot of not that money too, and when they come for you to pay the loan off and you have no money still, they're gonna take even the little that you do have. Now, does this mean that debt always is sinful? No, it doesn't. Proverbs speaks about debt as if it's a sharp knife. Is a sharp knife good or bad? Depends on whose hand it is in and how they're using it. Right, a sharp knife in my, daughter's penny, my daughter Penny's hand, two-year-old, not a good deal. She doesn't have the, immature, she doesn't have the maturity, the wisdom, right, or, or the thought to handle that in a way that is helpful, but a, a knife in the hand of my wife, an adult who is wise and skilled and knowledgeable, can be a, thing of, a tool of great blessing. Debt 
is such a sharp knife that Proverbs is constantly saying, if you even think about getting close to it, do it wisely, do it cautiously, do it with wise counsel, make sure you have a plan to pay it off because the more debt you incur, the more slavery you'll experience. And if we have a hunger for the things of pleasure and, 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 and we, we use money to try and get those things, we can find ourselves in debt and that can enslave us. Beware of the debtor's prison. Number two, money can deceive. Money can deceive. Money has a great marketing firm, amen? Like money is just so hot right now, right? And, and it's been so hot for a really long time. It, it's kind of kept popularity up, you know, throughout the very beginning of human history. But here's what Proverbs gives us a view of. It doesn't live up to the hype. Money really doesn't live up to the hype. In fact, here's a list of things the Proverbs say that, that are better than money. Money is not only the greatest thing in the book of Proverbs and the Bible, it's not even the second greatest, the third greatest, or even the fourth greatest. Here's a couple things that are better than money. Number one, a good name is better than money. Proverbs 22.1, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, and favor is better than silver or gold. Friends, what comes into your mind, or what comes into people's minds when they hear your name is a far more important treasure than how much you have in your bank account. Number two, peace at home is better than money. Better is a dry morsel with quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. I remember I went over to the house of a couple friends when I was in high school and they had very rich families, very nice places, and I hated going over there because the house was filled with chaos and rage and anger. And I always like to go back to my, my little, you know, my, my smaller house where there was at least a measure of peace. Even as a young man, I recognized what? Peace and quiet at home is much better than vast amounts of money. Number three, love is better than money. Proverbs 15, 17, better is a dinner of herbs, it's not a yummy dinner, by the way, uh, where love is than a fattened ox and hatred with it. As a youth pastor, I had a student who had a dad who was just mind-bogglingly rich, and he could care less. He didn't want any of his dad's inheritance. He didn't want any of his dad's, you know, his dad trying to get him gifts and this and that. He didn't want anything because his dad had so loved money and worshiped money that he lost the love of his son. He had tons of money, but he didn't have love. And the dad later ended up regretting that as so many people do, looking back at those tender years of their child's life saying, I chased money and I lost my child. Love is better than money, number four, integrity is better than money. Better a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Number five, I believe, wisdom is better than money. A rich man is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Sometimes our riches can make us think that we're far more clever than we actually are. I don't know if you've met this person who's very wealthy and they think they are therefore very wise but the thing they don't know is they're the only person that thinks they're very wise, right? Everyone else around them, they're just kind of an occasion of rolling their eyes and you know, speaking about behind that person's back. But here, having wisdom, actual wisdom, not just perceived wisdom, is better than money. And last but definitely not least, fear of the Lord is better than money. Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble with it. Here, friends, to, to put this one simply, what does it gain someone if they reach a billion dollars but they lose their own soul? What does it gain someone to have everything in creation without the one who's created it? You see, fearing the Lord, loving the Lord, knowing the Lord, as Paul says this way, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I compare everything, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord. You see, when Paul compares even riches with Jesus, riches are not just less, they're loss. You see, the person who's chosen great riches over the great Savior, you are actually poorer than dirt, and you are to be pitied, because you've chosen something worthless over the one who is infinite in his worth. Fear of the Lord is much greater than riches. And this isn't something that we haven't heard before, right? How many people have we heard, they won the rat race, but they're miserable? How, many pe how often do we have to hear from people who worked their whole lives only to then lose their money in a turn of the stock market 
or some unfortunate accident. You see, the 2000s showed us there's a lot of great ways to make money, but 2008 showed us there's a lot of great ways to lose money as well. How many times do we have to hear the same story of people regretting that they sacrificed their family for a big bank account? How many funerals do we have to attend to remember that money's helpfulness has a ruthless expiration date? You see, the great theologian and comedian Jim Carrey said it this way. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Money will deceive you if you let it. Number three, and finally on this point, money can corrupt. Money has the ability to do very dark surgery on our hearts if we're not paying attention. Very dark surgery. The love of money can make us sin. Proverbs 21.6, the getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare of death. <laughs> you see a little white lie in business to make a few extra bucks, stretching the truth a little bit on our taxes, lying to accumulate wealth is money causing us to sin. That is corruption. Or love of money makes us prideful. This proverb reminds me of a story. The poor use entreaties, but the rich answer roughly. I worked at the Sugar Shack in South San Clemente as a, uh, to help pay for college, and so breakfast, lunch, restaurant, and one of the, the truisms that I saw is usually the richer the people, the more rude they were, right? And very unapologetically rude. They would tip very little. They'd have massive complaints. They'd be very just disgruntled, and the, the attitude that I got is I felt that they just felt that they were superior, Right? They didn't need to be nice to me. I was just a college busboy at this little you know, hole-in-the-wall breakfast joint in South San Clemente. Here's what happens. When we have a lot of money, our pride can take over, can it not? You see, if you sit in first class enough, you actually begin to think you are first class, and everybody else is second class. If, if, you, if you're always being treated because you have a ton of money, you're gonna actually think that you are different than everybody else. Having special privileges can make you think that you are more special. Having VIP access makes you think you're a VIP in whatever place you are. And so money can take that, and as it says, the rich answer roughly. It can make us prideful. And lastly, the love of money can just make us greedy. A greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Notice that a greedy man stirs up strife. Why is that? Well, how does a greedy man see the people in his life or her life? People are one of two things. They're either a leech or they're a roadblock. If you have money, you're, you're looking and you're, you're, you're keeping away from me. And who are you? You want to take my money. You're a leech. And so when, someone's, when you feel someone's trying to take your money and they're a leech, what are you going to stir up? Strife. Or if you think that people are being a roadblock to you, you're going to resent them from, from blocking you of making more money, right? You begin to grow bitter at your children because they're actually not letting you work as much as you want. They're a roadblock. You begin to resent your wife because she actually wants you to be home for dinner every now and then rather than working overtime at the office all the time. And so you resent your wife because she's becoming a roadblock. You see, when money's captured our heart, strife ends up building up in all areas of life because people are now keeping you from the thing you love the most. Rather than loving God the most, loving people and then letting money just be a servant instead of a master. How can we avoid this? See, it'd be no help if I'm just like, hey, money's really bad. Next point, how can we actually avoid this? Let me just offer you just very quickly four brief practical ways to avoid being cursed by money. Number one, brothers and sisters, remember who your God is. Amen? Jesus said you cannot serve both God and money. You see, every day you and I will drift toward the idolatry of money or something else, and we have to daily remind ourselves that Jesus is my God and no one and nothing else. Remember who your God is. Who is your God today? Number two, remember your responsibility. Remember your responsibility. Psalm 24.1 says this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. What is this saying? God owns everything that is in the world and he owns everyone who is in the world and that includes money. And you're like, wait, didn't say money there. Well, Haggai 2.8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. Our money is his too. So this is what it means, church, listen. Your money is not your money. 
Your money is not your money. Train yourself as you open up your wallet. Stop saying my money, say God's money. When you look at your bank statements on the computer, don't say God's savings, or don't say my savings, say God's savings. When you think about your money and giving your money, do not think, oh, me giving my money is charity because it's me doing things that I don't have to do. No, you giving your money is you obeying what God has told you to do with your money. Providing for your family, providing for the needy, providing for gospel ministry. Your money is not your money. You are a manager, not an owner. You have the company credit card and you're called to use it for company purposes. Remember your identity and responsibility as a steward. You're not a possessor. Number three, remember your gospel. I love this. When Paul wants to encourage the Corinthian church to be generous in their giving, he doesn't give them a scolding or threats. He doesn't give them a guilt trip or a sob story. What does he do? He shows them Jesus. He says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. You see, some, some of us are Christians, but we don't give much, and I would submit to you that maybe your lack of generosity is a result of your blindness to the cross. Well, for some of you, you feel guilty and you only give to assuage that guilt. If that's you, you just give to make yourself not feel guilty, stop giving and sprint to the cross and see what God has done in his generosity to deal with your sin, to forgive you, to make you new. And out of the generosity that wells up there, give as you remember the gospel. You see, it's hard to be tight-fisted when you live at the foot of the cross. And then lastly, remember your eternity. We always talk about investing for the end of life, but I think we should also invest for eternal life. Don't store up our treasures here on earth where moth and rust can destroy, but store up our treasures in heaven. This earth is not our final place, and so let's send our funds forward that they would have internal investments. And then that brings us to our last point. Friends, from these two points, here's what I would like you to see. Money is, is, is a sword, either a sword in your hand with which you can use for gospel ministry to make others flourish, or it could be a sword in the enemy's hands used to destroy you. But here's the last point we're gonna finish on. Money can bless, money can curse, money cannot save. I think of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you know the commandments. And essentially, Jesus comes to a place where he says, here's what you need to do. You need to sell everything you have and give it to the poor and then follow me. It's odd because Jesus never says that to anybody else. He never tells anyone to sell their stuff and give it to the poor. It's not like a prerogative of the Christian life. Just to that one guy. Why? Because Jesus knew that guy worshiped his money. And Jesus says, well, if you want to follow me, you have to worship me and not your money. He essentially gave him an ultimatum saying, you're going to either believe the promises of money or you're going to believe my promises. You're either going to be, money is going to bring you abundant life or I'm going to bring you abundant life. And the heart-crushing reality of that story is the rich young ruler walked away sad because he loved his money. Friends, money will not live up to its word. It makes promises that it can't cash out on. Money cannot make you special in God's eyes. Money will not last you. Money cannot save you from God's judgment. You see, the rich young ruler walked away sad because he trusted money's promises more than Jesus, and the only thing money can do to its worshipers is bring them sadness. Money can't save us. Your money will not live up to its word, but it's worse than that. If we worship and live for money, it will eat us alive. There's this cute little story I read in The Guardian a couple months ago. It says, baby pigs and two sows were freed by firefighters from Pusey in Wiltshire when a barn went up in flames in February. It's, like, it's an adorable picture, right? Big burly spray firefighters going in, saving a bunch of little piglets, right? Rushing them out. And the farmer, were, the, far, the firefighters were generously rewarded. The farmer promised that she would pre- present the firefighters with organic sausages when the animals were slaughtered for their meat. Six months later, she did just that, and the firefighters cooked the bangers on a barbecue. You see, this story, <laughs> they were devoured by the very ones who saved them. You catch that? Proverbs eleven twenty eight: Whoever trusts in riches will fall. If you trust in riches, friends, they'll devour you. They may make you think they've brought temporary salvation, but that salvation is just that temporary. 
but in the end, they will eat you alive. And that's where I would just love for us, as the band comes up and we prepare for communion, I would love for us to remember the Savior who does not devour us, but was devoured for us, that we may live. You see, friends, our problem is not that some of us are poor or that some of us are rich. Our problem is that all of us are sinful. And the only thing that could be done about our sin is what God has done in Jesus through the cross. Colossians 2 says it this way, and you who were dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Friends, when we look at the cross, we see again God's generosity in creation, but doubled back in salvation. God has been generous with us in salvation. The debt of our sin that we could never get out of, he paid for in full, amen? So friends, if you are not a believer in here today, I'm glad you got to hear about money and the curse it will be for you if you worship it, but let me call your attention to Christ. Because whatever you do with your money, if you have not come to know Jesus Christ savingly, you are always and forever in spiritual debt you'll never be able to get yourself out of. But in Jesus Christ, the debt of your sin has been paid for in full. And by believing in Christ, you can be forgiven of your debt, reconciled to your God, to live the life that he's called you to live. So with that, we're gonna celebrate communion uh, now as a response. And uh, as we come, as the music begins to play in this song, you can come down the aisles to grab the elements. We pray that you would bring them back to your seats so we can take communion together. Friends, behold the generosity of God. Thank you.